Welcome, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I am Paul Neefer, your host, and today we're actually going to do something that I've never done before on the podcast. We're actually going to have a conversation with three people. Uh, we're going to have um, Jared Hollinger, Matt Pickens, and Eric Mueller from the Farm Farmland Legacy Trust based in Omaha, Nebraska. So I, I think um, it's going to be a little interesting. I'm going to start off with Jared and let him introduce himself, introduce, and then kick it over to, to Matt and Eric as appropriate. So, Eric, how are things going in Omaha? Good, good. And thanks for having us, Paul. I appreciate that. Um, I'm just, I'll, just, I'll just kick it off here real quick. Uh, just a little background of, of myself. I, so I grew up on a farm in northeast Nebraska, um, really just south of, of Yankton, South Dakota, on the Nebraska side of the river. So typical uh, grain farm. Uh, we also raised cattle, hogs, uh, had, had some uh milking, uh, milk herd uh, that we did as well. Um, so I grew up on the farm, uh, went to school at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, uh, ended up kind of landing in Omaha and been here for the last uh, almost 25 years. Um, my background is in the farmland brokerage uh, business and a little bit of management. Um, primarily the last, uh, I, I would say the last 10 years of my brokerage experience before uh, starting the farmland fund uh, with Jared and now with Matt with his legacy fund um, was with Farmers National Company. And so uh, I conducted uh, uh, auctions throughout the state of Iowa, uh, South Dakota, Minnesota, and Nebraska. And uh, it was through those experiences that that the concept of what we're going to be discussing here today, the Legacy Farmland Trust, uh, was, was born. Um, and that was through witnessing the at auctions uh, the family dynamics and and what um, farmland ownership I guess in some cases did to the family. Uh, this was a in a lot of cases was a gift that was given, um, and when it came time to sell, not all the siblings were necessarily on the same page. And I I witnessed firsthand uh, the tearing apart. Or I guess the farm the families had already been kind of half torn apart by the time it got to this point. So we'll get into the into the weeds about uh, what the farmland legacy trust is. But that was a little bit of a background on myself and uh, and where the concept of the fund came from. Okay. And and for the listeners out there, that was actually Eric Mueller. I sort of thought I was kicking it over to Jared, but Eric Eric jumped in, and which is just fine. But I just wanted to let the listeners out there know that. Uh, actually, let's go to Matt and then we'll go to Jared. Thanks, Paul, and uh, thanks for having us on today. Uh, so Matt Pickens, I'm uh, Senior Managing Director uh, at SOAR. Um, I am from Omaha, uh, been here most of my life. Um, I went to undergrad down at uh, University of Nebraska at Lincoln, uh, and I went to law school at Mitchell Hamlin up in uh, St. Paul. Um, so my background really has primarily been uh, physical asset investing of some sort or another. Um, started out uh, at oil, doing oil and gas uh, before moving on to renewables, solar and wind, uh, and then commercial real estate and now farmland. So, uh, you know, a lot of what I do uh, is, you know, analysis, uh, due diligence and transactional structuring, ongoing portfolio management, you know, caring for uh, 
you know, risks that we need to to manage from a physical asset standpoint. So um, thanks again for having us, Paul, and I'll hand it over to Jared. Thanks, Matt, and thanks again for uh, hosting us, Paul. Um, uh, as as Eric mentioned, you know, we've we uh, launched this farmland, this legacy farmland trust, um, just this year. Um, but it's a uh, it's really an extension of our our farmland investing. And I'll give you a little bit of my history. So I was born in Omaha. Uh, I'm not a farm kid from uh, you know by uh, by design, uh, but but born and raised in Omaha. But been a longtime farmland investor. And after I, I left college uh, about 22 years ago, started my investing career in, in physical assets and have been a, a longtime farmland investor as part of that. Throughout that uh, career, met a lot of great people and really fueled it through relationships. And one of those was Eric. Um, and he, he and his, uh, his associates represented us on a number of uh, farmland investments. And uh, by nature of that, uh, relationship and those introductions um, was born our partnership several years back when we first launched uh, the Sower Farmland Fund. And that's a more traditional equity fund uh, that, that invests in farmland throughout the United States. And that's part of our overall Sower organization. Um, and so today, uh, the three of us are, are with you as, as the general partner group for the Legacy Farmland Trust which is a new fund uh, with a, a new design that's really intended and designed to preserve and protect the legacy um, of uh, farmland asset owners uh, for multiple generations to come. And, you know, before we get too far, I got to pin down, Jared, did you go to the University of Nebraska at Lincoln also? I did. I went to the University of Nebraska Lincoln. So we so are- we we have three corn huskers on the call, and we have a Washington Husky. I do remember, like thirty years ago, we beat you in a football game. I do remember that. So, uh, but don't don't hold that against me. Unfortunately, well, unfortunately, Paul, we remember that very well. <laughs> so, um, like you said, you you had a traditional farmland investment uh, fund. But starting, what, maybe a year, two years ago, you, you came up with this idea that, um, you know, that's fine for maybe, I'm going to call it a passive investor, but you have a lot of farmland owners out there that, like you mentioned, like Eric mentioned at the beginning, or maybe it was Matt that mentioned that, you know, you have family members, they're gifted this land, some of the family members want to sell, some of them do not want to sell, and sometimes it can tear the family apart. So, uh, Jared, why don't you why don't you take it from there as to maybe the genesis of of what the fund is? Sure, you bet. So, yeah, just to clarify what you said there, Paul. So, yes, we did start a traditional farmland fund, and that's for more passive investors that want to invest their their dollars um, and give us the the ability and the mandate to go purchase farmland assets. And that fund is still in uh, in existence. It's uh, several years old. It's growing in scale quarter over quarter, and that's really allowed us to build our internal team that is now uh, you know professional portfolio manager of those farmland assets, and is the same team uh, that's engaged in the management of the assets as we launch the Legacy Farmland Trust. Now, the Legacy Trust, the Legacy Farmland Trust, is really intended to be a tool 
that a farm family, so a, a family that owns a farmland asset can use to maximize the overall efficiency of, of that asset. So, so what we have seen happen many, many times is that, that a farm family has used to farm the asset and now it's owned in more of a passive state to where they're renting the farm out to either one family member or to a non-family member. And perhaps it's transferred down to the next generation. And you have limited ability to create liquidity around the asset or to transfer the asset without the entire family agreeing. And as Eric said, he, he witnessed a number of times families being torn apart because of those disagreements. And so what really we, we have assembled here um, is a fund that instead of collecting dollars to invest, we take in contributions of farmland. And so a farm owner is able to contribute their farm, to contribute their asset to the fund and convert that asset into fund units. So in a sense, they are converting a large, monolithic, illiquid asset to fund units that give them a ton of flexibility around transferring to the next generation, gifting to the next generation, or gifting to a 501c3, um, selling a portion of that asset without selling the farm, um, and 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 basically a ton of flexibility uh, for all of them, the next generation, to make choices on how they want to administer that. Secondly, um, what that conversion does is it gives a great deal of diversity. So instead of that, that farm owner owning just that one asset, they now have shares in our fund, which gives them exposure to all the assets in the underlying fund. And so that gives them uh, diversity and it gives them opportunity because of, you know, a farm may be performing poorly one year or excellent in another year. And by having, you know, exposure to the entire fund, it goes ahead and, and, it, and it insulates them from any, you know, any, any kind of bad activity that may occur. So just to come back to the example that Eric had at the beginning, where you have, let's say, two siblings that want to sell, two siblings that don't want to sell, by contributing the land into this, into the trust, the two siblings that want to sell now have units, they're more liquid, they can go ahead and sell those units, either immediately or over time, depending how tax might affect them. And the two that don't want to sell now have, you know, they still have an interest in the land in a way via the fund, but they have an interest in other land that allows them to diversify their holdings. Do I have that correct, uh, Jared? You do. And the other important thing to recognize here is that on that contribution event, there is no tax that's generated. There's no tax liability that's generated. So, so the, the, the family is simply contributing the asset into the fund, and that does not create a capital gains event. Um, and then, as you said, each one of those siblings can independently decide what to do with their units. Now, I'm assuming there's probably some provisions in the trust that uh, provide some additional options or maybe restrictions on the fund as to what they can do with that land. Can you go through what those might be? You bet. You know, our, our tagline is your legacy, our mission. And really, when we talk about legacy, 
that is our mission is to preserve it. And we we look at how we we've we've taken great care to structure the fund in a way that preserves and protects the asset for you know for the indefinite future. A couple of those benefits that those those contributors um, can uh, add into the contribution are the first right to farm the asset. So, for instance, if there's one family member that is actively you know farming the asset, they can be designated as the first right to to lease the land. Uh, secondly, there can be a first right of a first right of offer. That simply means that that they have the first right to purchase the land out of the fund. So for instance, if a grandchild is, is up and coming or if an unnamed heir uh, even uh, is, is contemplated as somebody that may want to own that land 10, 20 years from now, they can be designated as that first right to purchase and, and have the ability to pull the asset back out of the fund in the future. A third, a third nice benefit is we recognize that while these assets in, in, in many families may be owned passively, and in some cases, nobody from the family is actually farming it, there's still an emotional tie because generations of that family have been on that farm. And so we can carve out the right to uh, hunt the land. You know, if, if hunting has been part of the family culture for generations, we can, can uh, uh, earmark that right. Or gathering on the land, we can earmark that right. Um, and so those are some of those special provisions. As far as restrictions, um, we've really taken great care there as well. The fund is restricted from selling any asset without the express written permission of the initial contributor until the time of that initial contributor's death. That not only preserves the, the uh, tax scenario to ensure that that there's no capital gains tax that's generated. Um, it also it also gives comfort to the family to know that those other um, provisions I just went through, you know, are preserved for that for that uh, duration. Yeah, and and, and as you mentioned, um, if they sell during lifetime, that's a taxable event. However, if that lease goes through that person's estate. Now, might be husband and wife's estate, depends on whether it's community property or not. But let's say it goes through the estate, those units that they own are going to get a step up to fair market value. Then if they want to sell the units at that point in time, the heirs, uh, they can do that tax-free, plus or minus any gain that happens after death. That's 100% correct. You you got okay. it. Okay. What Let's say that somebody is very interested in doing this. What is the what is the structure to actually do it? I mean, what if they have debt, don't have debt? How do they get it into the fund? What are the fees that are involved, et cetera, et cetera? Sure. So, so the ideal asset to come into the fund is one that has low to no debt. That being said, if there is some debt on the property, the fund can accommodate that. And we can accommodate that by either taking an assignment of that debt, which is allowed in many cases, or if that's not allowed, the fund will actually, um, through our capital partnership, um, basically pay off that debt. And of course, then the contribution value of that asset would be the net value, meaning the farm value less whatever debt balance we're, we're bringing in. Does that help answer that question, Paul? Yes. And then, but there are, I guess, I, I just want to let people know too that there might be a small fee associated with the transfer in but that fee 
as you mentioned, it, it it isn't coming out of the person putting the land in. It's just sort of the net value. Do I have that correct? You do. And so let me let me clarify that for you and, and for your listeners. So at the time of the contribution in, people can expect a fee structure similar to if they were to have sold the land, right? So uh, normally in a sale, um, there would be a brokerage type fee. So our fee structure includes third-party due diligence expenses and a fee structure that would be comparable, albeit on the lower end, of a traditional brokerage experience. Now, what's important to recognize is that those fees are not coming out of anybody's pocket. It's simply netted out of the value of the land, and the fund covers those those costs, those true hard costs going in. Okay, okay. And then as far as the management of the actual farm itself, uh, I think you, you're hiring, um, or how are, you, how are you handling the the management side of the actual farm operation? You bet. So we take a we have a two tiered approach here. So we have Farmers National Company as our as our farm manager of record, and that's nationwide, and that's to help make sure that we've got um, consistent accounting and fiduciary oversight of the assets, and then. They also serve as our on-the-ground resource to make sure that the year-over-year management of our tenants is done uh, properly. Our internal team, as I mentioned, which is currently engaged on on our farmland portfolio that that currently exists, um, we are tasked internally with portfolio management, which is more involved in the multi-year planning of the the farm assets and how they behave together in the portfolio. Okay. Okay. Um, I think right now we're just going to take a quick break for a sponsored message and we're going to come back. I certainly have several more questions to ask of you guys. How many years away is the long run for a farmer? Five years? Ten years? Top producers like Hans Reinchi a Blue Diamond Farming Company in Jessup, Iowa, know Raboagger Finance shares his enduring vision for the future. Whether it's building our grain site, or if it's purchasing the next field, we're able to turn to Rabo as a trusted partner to help us get financing to make those generational decisions. With unmatched financial capacity, local relationship managers, and a global network of sector experts to offer market guidance, Robo Agar Finance provides enterprising farmers with a personalized approach to lending and financial services. Growing a better world together, Robo Agar Finance. back everyone to the farm cpa podcast presented by top producer i'm paul Neefer, your host and i'm going to rejoin the conversation uh, with three people from farmland legacy trust um, now jared some states are probably going or farmers in certain states may be not allowed to do this is that correct that, that is correct. Um, there are certainly some states that are very strict in their anti-corporate farming um, statutes that make it difficult for us to own an asset. 
That being said, um, we have and continue to structure uh, deals in many of those states that that can be permitted because of our partnership structure. Okay, okay. And um, is there an optimum size for this type of transaction? I mean, if somebody, if they only had 50 acres versus 5,000 acres, what, what would be, is there a sort of a sweet spot for these type of transactions? So we really look at this more of a dollar amount uh, from a fair market value standpoint. And we like to see that, you know, we can really accommodate any asset size, but because of that, you know, the, the cost of, of doing a transaction and our due diligence expense, the ideal asset is something that is has a fair market value of $2 million or greater. Okay. So these days, you know, in some states, that's 80 acres or 100 acres or 200 acres. You know, it's not necessarily a large number of acres anymore. That's correct. Yep. Is is it, let's say somebody came to you that had farmland, but they also had a fair amount of timber uh, that's on that land. Is that something that you could still handle bringing in the land with the timber or or is that something that you'd have to determine down the future? No, so so we we really have designed this fund to be purely a uh, farmland US row crop farmland fund. And that's to preserve and protect the the distributions for our, you know, for our our investors that contribute. That being said, if there is a, you know, hunting land or some timber that re represents, you know, a, a small minority of the asset, that certainly can be accommodated. But if it is truly timberland, investment grade timberland, that wouldn't be a fit. Okay. And, you know, a lot of um, a lot of our listeners out there, I'm going to say, are, are what I call the non-specialty crops, you know, corn, soybeans, wheat, milo, rice, cotton. Um, and I think that's probably a little bit of focus of the fund. What about permanent crops? You know, let's say apple orchard, vineyard, uh, those type of, of operation or of farmland or, or cropland. Is that something that would fit for this fund or is it really more the, 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 the non-specialty type crops? No. It, so for this fund, again, row crop is really our focus. And, you know, as your listeners, I'm sure know, um, the returns around all of those specialty crops can be far and wide and, and in some cases more volatile year over year. And so um, this fund is really designed to just handle more traditional row crop, which, as you said, I think is the, the, the crux of, of most of your listeners is, or the focus of most of your listeners. And, um, and that's really who we're, we're aiming to serve. But that certainly include irrigated corn ground, irrigated um, soybean ground and so on, correct? You bet. Yeah, irrigated okay. and dry land, you know, soybean, corn, rice, cotton, anything that's that's considered a row crop. Okay, perfect, perfect. I think, I think I've covered or I've asked the questions that I typically would want to know answers to. Have I missed anything, Jared? Well, maybe we could just cover um, a little bit, um, a little bit on how the fund structure works go forward. So, if we do have a contributor um, or an interested contributor, you know, they would contact us, 
and you know um, we can be found at legacyfarmlandtrust.com. Um, and they would fill out a, an, an, an interest form or they would just give us a call. And then we would go through an application process and, and a proposal. And in that application process, they would, you know, they would um, provide for us some detail around the asset. And then we would come back with a proposal that, you know, assuming all of the detail they provided is accurate, should be reasonably uh, close to where we land. Um, the important thing, and this is the part that we have to agree on between the fund and the contributor, is what the value of the land is at, at the time of contribution. And so to validate that, we engage with a third-party appraiser and we do a, a series of due diligence exercises, and that confirms everything. And then we, if, if, if all that is in agreement and validates, then we head to closing. And that whole process, you can expect to take 90 to 120 days to work through. Now, one thing I do want to make sure I'm clear on today, and I was advised by by counsel to make sure that we, considering this is an investment, um, that our discussion today and our conversation is not an offer to sell or solicit an offer to purchase interest in Legacy Farmland Trust. And so um, this is simply an information session, and, and we're happy to, uh, to engage with anybody uh, for additional conversation so they can explore further. Okay. Okay. So, and... And then each year or each two or three years, that property is going to be either reappraised or the appraisal is going to be updated because the fund value is really going to be based on the value of all of the farms that are in that fund based on an appraisal. Is, is that correct? Is that how it works on that end? That's right. So the way that the fund uh, uh, maintains its value and then ultimately puts out distributions is the fund, the asset when it is admitted into the fund carries with it a fair market value at that time. And that's validated by that third party appraisal. Then every year thereafter, there's an update of that appraisal that will then, uh, that, that flows to the value of the fund on the anniversary quarter that, the, that that asset was admitted. Every third year, a new third party appraisal is ordered and that process is then repeated. Throughout the administration of the fund, then there's a quarterly distribution that is that is essentially one quarter of the of the operating cash flows generated from the entire fund, and that's distributed out to our fund unit holders uh, on a pro rata basis. And the again, um, this would be a projection, which is probably the wrong way of doing it. But you know, farmland returns right now, or maybe in that cash returns net net, or in that one two percent range, is that is that where you think it might end up being? And I know I'm not I'm not tying you to that, but based on what you think it might be, yeah, you you can expect um, you can expect fund returns to largely mimic returns uh, on traditional farmland. Okay. Okay. And then your structure of the fund, it's a limited partnership, but potentially it's a private limited partnership, but down the road, there is the option if it gets, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, I guess it's the option that it may then become a public fund, which provides more liquidity, may become a real estate investment trust. Is, is that accurate or, or what's the thoughts on that? 
Yeah, so we really, and, and to great credit to Matt in, in the architecture around the fund, we, we really have thought through the eventuality of, of where this goes. You know, our mission is to really preserve the legacy of these assets for a long time. And so we wanted to create an environment that could live on in perpetuity. And it, it, with that goal in mind, we, we've structured this in such a way that after the fund reaches a certain size and scale, which is, is sized somewhere in that six to $700 million in assets, yeah, there will be an, uh, an, a, a path to go public. And that will provide uh, a great deal of benefit to our, our initial contributors. Uh, it'll, it'll provide ready liquidity um, you know, for those unit holders uh, above and beyond the fund's ability to buy those units. And so it will be you know, the family members that then hold those units generations from now will be able to trade those units um out on the open market okay okay good good anything else that, that that we need to cover before i ask some of the personal questions i always do at the end uh let me ask uh eric matt anything else that, that you think we missed here that we that we should tell uh paul's listeners no i think you guys covered it pretty well um <clears throat> there is you know every family situation is going to be different. So, you know, we try to care for the, the plethora of potential scenarios, but, um, you know, as, as questions and different scenarios come up, um, as Jared mentioned before, uh, we'd be happy to, to, to go through those scenarios and put together proposals for, for folks. Um, but I think we've got everything covered for the most part. Yeah, I would, I would agree with with you, Eric. I think you know we've done we spent a lot of time uh, trying to make this as flexible of a structure as possible, and um, you know we certainly haven't uh, come up with uh, you know every every possible scenario yet. But uh, I, I feel like we've 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 come a long ways there, and uh, you know as, as new ones come up, we can continue to design uh, you know ways to make things easier for folks to contribute. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Well, I think I'm probably just going to ask a couple of the questions I normally ask just because of the fact that we have three people on here. Um, I guess for each of you, I would ask, who was your mentor? Was there somebody that you know, helped you along your career? Um, I'll start with I'll start with Eric. Sure. You bet. Yeah. So prior to my my uh, career with Farmers National Company, um, I was with another uh, company here in Omaha called PJ Morgan Real Estate. PJ Morgan himself was the former mayor, and so I would I would credit him um, to to a lot of um, uh, of what I've learned and ex and experienced as I began my real estate career, and then rolling that into my Farmers National uh, career. I would have to say uh, a couple folks there, Jim Farrell being one of them, and, and Jim is, a, is on our advisory committee. Um, just extremely well-connected and just well-experienced uh, individual and, and always willing to, to share and, uh, and to help out, uh, along with uh, there's a couple other folks in, uh, in the Farmers National uh, organization that I, could, that I could name out to. Randy Dickwood is one of them. Uh, and these guys, when I came up, uh, with these thoughts and ideas of, of these funds and, and different things years ago, they were always supportive um, of, of the idea and then also kind of helping me and guiding me uh, as we as we continued through the structuring of these funds and, and then uh, eventual launch dates. So so I guess I have a few of them. Not okay. okay. More time than needed. But No, that's okay. That's perfect. How about you, Matt? Yeah, so 
you know, the first, uh, when I was just out of college, I went, I, I spent about nine years working for an energy company here in town, uh, called Tanaska. And it was, uh, it's, it's one of the largest privately held companies in the U S and I, I, I had a, a few really great mentors there, um, in, you know, finance and, uh, finance group and, um, you know, gave me a ton of very broad exposure to, you know, investing, um, and managing risk um, and how to, you know, structure deals in a way that properly allocate risk to the different, you know, parties that are, you know, best equipped to handle them. Um, and so I've taken a lot of what I've learned there and I've applied it, um, you know, here at, at Legacy and um, as well as, you know, our existing sower farmland fund. So really grateful for the folks there that um, I, I learned quite a bit from. Okay, and then finally, Jared. Sure thing. Um, well, Paul, so as I mentioned, I uh, started my investing career when I was about 20 years old back as a, as a college student. And uh, I met a, a gentleman back then, his name is Alan, and his mission was to, to, uh, to enable young entrepreneurs to, to start their business. And so when I was 20, I actually launched my first investment fund and he was my first investor. Um, and he maintains that that position to this day and is still invested with us in a number of our of our assets and our business. Um, so he's been a, a a longtime mentor that's really, you know, showed me how, you know, his focus on his legacy has really helped others. And uh, it's really guided a lot of how we approach our business, you know, to this day. OK, perfect, perfect. And then yeah. I think the last question I'll ask uh, that's uh, uh, you know, that I always like to ask is, uh, do you guys have any hobbies? Let's start with Jared, then Matt, and then Eric. Okay. Well, I do. I live down on a lake. And so anything lake, boating, fishing, you know, uh, that, that hits the hobby list. And then I, uh, enjoy hiking and downhill, uh, speed skiing. So those are my, those are my, uh, my big hobbies. <laughs> now, I didn't learn to ski until I was 30 years old, and I have no form, so I just go straight downhill. I will admit that. But uh, how about you, Matt? Uh, well, I spend a lot of time in Minnesota. We uh, we've had a family cabin there that's been in the family since uh, the 1950s, and so do a lot of jet skiing, uh, four wheeling up there. Um, so that that uh, takes a lot of my summer. Uh, I am a golfer. I'm not a good golfer, uh, but I do enjoy it. <laughs> well, next week, my my number two son, he's a member of uh, Kissing Camels. That's the name of the club down in Colorado Spring, and they have their member guests. So I'm playing golf with him Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So that, oh, nice. that might be the, that might be the limit of my golf. So for that <laughs> week, but, uh, how about you, Eric? We're probably on the same level then, Paul. I, I, I like like to do it. Don't get to do it often. Um, but I, I, I would say uh, really just spending time with family. So, And when I'm doing that, we, we do like to, to get on the lake as well. We just, just literally got back from uh, a few days uh, at Okaboji Lake up in northern Iowa. So I would say family and, and uh, with that, any, anything to do on the water is what we okay. enjoy doing. So. Yeah, you guys have more water back there than we do. Uh, what we call lakes out here, I would call ponds. So back there, so uh, you know, we 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 don't have large bodies of water, and they're all reservoirs. So, uh, but uh, uh, again, I I want to thank Eric, Matt, and Jared for being on the call today. This has been a unique uh, podcast for us, but I I think for 
you know, families out there that that are facing the fact that maybe it's the next generation, mom and dad have passed on, some of the family members want to sell, some do not want to sell. This this creates an option that's very worth taking a look at. So I would uh, anybody that's listening to this that's in that situation, I would definitely recommend that they reach out to Jared, Matt, or Eric, or go to the website. And that again, Jared, that website was what? The website is legacyfarmlandtrust.com. Okay, okay. And I, I think that would be very, very helpful for those people in that situation. Anything else that the three of you'd like to add before we sign off? No, I think that uh, I think that does it, Paul. Um, I just appreciate the, the time that you've taken today and your listeners too. It's uh, been a pleasure um, and uh, looking forward to the relationship go forward. Okay. Again, this is the Farm CPA Podcast presented by Top Producer. This is Paul Neefer, your host, signing off.